This podcast is presented by the Ed Narrative, a place for reflective discourse about education. Visit theednarrative.com to subscribe to this podcast and the blog. And please remember to leave a review on iTunes so that we can grow this community of educators. Welcome to Episode 4. My name is Darren Ralston, and I'm the producer of this podcast. For this episode, we're going to take a look at Jane Kais's differentiated coaching. She uses the Myers-Briggs personality types to inform the way that she interacts with teachers. It's interesting. Uh, for this conversation, I have Shannon Cruthards and Leslie Gibson in the studio with me. Here we go. So why don't we just uh, go ahead and, and okay. jump right in. Why, uh, why, why did you guys choose differentiated coaching as the text to work from for your, uh, for your goals this year? Part of it was our newness. This is what we're using for our novice coach text. Mm-hmm. Um, because it focuses so much on different personality types of people, mm-hmm. of, I felt like that was step one as a new coach of how can I understand each teacher that I'm working with better to meet their needs right away rather than trying to um, figure it out you know, just by trial and error. If I can pinpoint the kinds of stresses that that type of person you know, deals with, then I can approach coaching in a more proactive um, so, way. So it's kind of an, uh, a way to be more efficient? Is that, yes. Is, that's what I'm gathering from yeah, that, Now the hard part is when you're meeting someone new to try to figure out what what type of person is this? Is this more of an, you know, is an extrovert, is an introvert? That's that's kind of, you know, those kinds of things you're trying to differentiate out. Um, that's the difficult part. But I feel like once you get the sense of that, I've felt a, very successful with um, just diving into this book and, and going deeper with what works for that individual. Oh, that's why they're stressed, because their administrator is saying this. Okay, how can I help them in the way that they need to be approached? Right. Um, that's been helpful. It's a good way for me to check my biases about people also, or mm-hmm. even my judgment about people. If they're not receptive to an idea, if they're hesitant to implement something, a lot of that has to do with how you process information, how the information is given to you, and how you're able to work through it. Because mm-hmm. um, there's a lot about learning style and professional development and change initiatives and how to approach those in this book. And the way that we tend to do it is really counter to the way many people receive and implement change. Like you mean teachers that you would work with or? Well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about faculty meetings, those August ones where the principal says, okay, this year we're going to, Mm -hmm. ta-da. And you know, a bunch of people are rolling their eyes, you know, filling out forms, that kind of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of discussion about why that happens mm-hmm. in those sorts of meetings and in professional development in this book. And that's been really instructive for me. Yeah. Well, one of the things, too, I mean, and that come, I mean, obviously comes right out of the book. But um, she does say that, you know, teachers who are resistant to these changes, like, say, at an August meeting, that, uh, that's just a sign that they're not brain dead, right, that they, they're thinking about this right. stuff. Mm-hmm. One of the things I want to make sure we touch on, since we've already kind of jumped in talking about type and and differentiation is sort of how that figures into 
you know, how, how you use it. Um, what, what does it mean to you to use the Myers-Briggs in association with this? Because I feel like that one is a little bit tricky. I think that um, what brought me in was how she goes through what's failed. She used a very specific teacher of this is what has been tried with this teacher and it's failed. Mm -hmm. And why is that, that it's failed? This is a good teacher, a teacher who's committed to their students. Um, And that to me made me question, okay, why is that? And, And it made me want to read further and get further into that understanding of because the way that the information was presented from the administrators was not the way that this teacher needed to hear it in order to make a change for the administ- for the entire faculty, I mean. Or so the for that school. teacher, it was not so much about what was in the message, but how it was delivered? Absolutely. Okay. And I think that um, enticed my interest of, wow, I think that's probably true of a lot of people. They have best intentions. Teachers always have the best intentions. But if something is not given to them in a way that they're able to receive it, then they're going to automatically shut down to that change. Mm -hmm. And I think she dives into um, ways to avoid that. I find it more useful in relationships that I know are ongoing. If I try to think about it with every teacher that I interact with. So like a one or two session thing, you might not... Right. If it doesn't feel like the work is ongoing, it's not something I bring to the meeting because I find it's clouding my judgment. I'm spending a lot of time thinking about personality type and, oh, perceiver or judger, how should we approach this project? Mm -hmm. Instead of really listening and really helping, you know, Mm -hmm. move things forward for the teacher. In novice relationships, since those are guaranteed to be ongoing, um, it's been really helpful for that. And, and, uh, you know, for us, it's it's something where as coaches, we do work with novice teachers coming in. Mm -hmm. They're assigned a coach and and they work regularly throughout the year. So, yeah, I mean, it does does make more sense for that. that. Mm -hmm. It's also made sense with for people where there's an ongoing relationship. A limitation I've found is that in this book, she talks about using this as a common framework to discuss learning styles. And I am limited by the fact that it's not a common framework that we use in the county. Can so we you don't talk, Sure. So we talk about um, if you're learning style, if you're an, an IN or a, I don't know, an yes. ES or yeah. whatever. Any of those. Any of those. <laughs> yeah, those, those first two. <laughs> yes. They call those first two the learning style. Right. And mm-hmm. so you can go, you can, without there being any stigma attached to any uh, way to interpret information, you can talk about, oh, uh, you INs are probably going to hate this or whatever. And it kind <laughs> right. of takes off, takes the sting out of the fact that, oh, I'm going to have to get up and like put on a skit within the first five minutes about this thing I just read. And I had no, no theory. I have not mm-hmm. spent an hour mm-hmm. letting it percolate mm-hmm. in my mind. And if you can talk about that difference, how you're probably not going to feel comfortable in this, mm-hmm. but this other half of the room needs this. Right. That's the common framework part of it that I think would make it really useful. But it's like so many things. How do you implement that system-wide? If, um, if everyone came to the table every faculty meeting or every meeting that you have with, you know, this is our goal. Some of you are going to be excited in this way. Some of you are not going to be excited, but it's worth that learning. So, like, recognizing It's just recognizing it. it. Okay. Yeah, it's just taking a moment to recognize. That might set the tone completely differently and be more successful for those where it's not going to reach you know, intentionally at the first time. And she also talks at the very end as she's summing up the book how it's not good to always have the exact same according to your personality type. What do you you mean the exact same? So the the same, um, so if I am an extrovert and I need to talk everything out, it's not always good to just talk everything out. That extrovert still needs time to reflect 
independently in order to grow. So that was one of her points was you don't want to always structure everything exactly to meet everyone's needs. Right. um, Because then that doesn't allow for growth in areas that aren't as strong. Okay. Okay. She also points out that if you are giving information in a way that's not going to be suitable to everyone, pointing out uh, how that can also translate to your classroom, uh, to teachers, uh, Mm -hmm. you are really not feeling comfortable with this right now. Imagine if you were in someone's classroom and they always gave information in this way. That's why you need to mix it up. You need to do all kinds of different things that reach all different learning styles. Uh, That's part of the common framework that I think when I go back into the classroom will be really useful. Absolutely. Right, having that that more um, diverse toolbox to to present information or or deliver lessons. Like if there's a, I'm thinking of tables in the book. There's some, there are like four mm-hmm. quadrants. Right. And I can look at something. There's and, a lot of and tables I have lots, in this book. There are a lot of tables. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the tables and I, we didn't get on at first, but now I'm all about <laughs> the tables. It's a growing relationship. <laughs> it is, you know, we're getting there. Um, I love a, uh, a checklist. Mm-hmm. And so to be, to look at that and say, you know, I think I have a diverse toolkit that I use in my classroom. But to look at it and say, to realize that maybe some of the things that I think are super diverse are just different ways to reach this one style. Mm-hmm. And so really having a way to check myself, am I meeting all these four quadrants of this table of these different learning styles? Am I, am I getting to everybody at least in some, in some way, way mm-hmm. shape, or mm-hmm. form? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about how it's difficult to use Myers-Briggs mm-hmm. um, you know, in every format. Um, I think because I, I, I want to make sure that we touch on this, um, we don't issue a Myers-Briggs test to everybody in our district. We don't, I I don't know of any buildings Mm -hmm. here where they give a Myers-Briggs to their whole staff. How would our situation sort of play into your work as a coach using Myers-Briggs to inform your your work? Um, I did a lot of um, guessing. And again, like Shannon said, I use it more for my long-term relationships. And I thought that just from the first couple weeks of just getting to know someone and how trying to take a seat back and just be as quiet and silent as I can be to let them show me kind of what they need if they need to talk or if there's a lot of silence okay I need to add something here Um, and I have a specific teacher I work with that I thought that I had really nailed what she needed and then when discussion with other colleagues that work with her they're like I'm not sure actually because this is what Um, I have worked with her in the past, and that's not what she needed. And so I did some shifting Mm -hmm. and changing um, because um, I had her as more of an intuitive person, and really this other uh, coach I was talking with had her as more of a sensing person. And then so I was like, oh, man, okay, I'm not actually – giving lots of examples. I'm being way too big picture and okay. I'm not being more concrete. In the next couple of sessions, I just had that in the back of my mind and it proved being much more successful. Mm-hmm. And it came to, oh, she's in a brand new position this year. Okay. Not and so there was a, a so different set of needs. There was too. a different set of needs. And I think that was, she wasn't showcasing her true needs right. because she wasn't comfortable in her role yet. I found that to be valuable. And actually, that's where I was going to head. I actually did the same process with Shannon earlier in the year uh, around a, a teacher I was working with. And I mean, I'll be honest, when, when I went through the uh, year one coach um, induction process uh, and we were using this book, I, I kind of had some cold feet to it uh, last year. But this year, I've started to see it, you know, under under those uh those considerations as something that 
it really does provide a good tool for because what I found myself doing when when Shannon and I when we were talking was we were negotiating mm-hmm. and that it was process, causing really honest reflection yeah and in our conversations there are some things we had very different interpretations of and talking about them helped us kind of to narrow in on what the teacher's need was mm-hmm. it was really it was an interesting it was process. fascinating mm-hmm. to me and and the thing that I feel like part of the reason why it worked so well too is the fact that we were at that time working in a co-coaching right. situation so that we had that uh, that ability to sort of collaborate around this and, and negotiate and you know parse it out okay so would you say this teacher does more of this or more of that mm-hmm. and and it helped kind of bring to light some things where we were able to say oh maybe this is why mm-hmm. x is happening it kind of provides something like art of coaching does where she talks about the coaching stances being kind yeah. of like or directive or facilitate whatever um, it gives you some types of coach, like uh, coach as useful resource, coach as mentor, mentor, um, coach as expert. Right. So all these different types of coaches. If I can't figure out a personality type, I can at least shift a couple of the right. ways so to coach. So you have a couple different uh, ways in, either through to, their personality yeah. type or through my coach type, and somehow we sort of triangulate, and you know, it's it's been really beneficial. Well, I think it's interesting. You said uh, coach type. So, I mean, I know that last year when I had my uh, first year, first meeting, we all did the Myers-Briggs types on ourselves, and I'm assuming you guys went and did, we did. that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how has that affected you, or has it affected you in regard to either this book or just coaching in general? Um, I see um, my tendencies much more clearly, um, okay. and recognizing that about myself, that it allows me to stop mm-hmm. and force myself to stop when I'm working with a teacher that that's not going to that's not going to go anywhere if I keep jumping in and they need to to listen and they need me to just listen and that's it um that's really been beneficial because because i've dived into it myself Mm -hmm. and understanding where where i am and as a type and where my weaknesses are right okay shannon what about you for me i already knew mine uh but i hadn't really thought about it much in terms of how it affects teaching other than <laughs> I'm an introvert, so I'm super tired at the end of the day. It's all the talking to all the people. Other than that, I hadn't really thought about it in terms of how it affects my professional life. And I think about that more, and I give myself permission to be quiet and listen and think. Whereas in the past, I would be in a meeting with a bunch of people who could quickly talk about how they feel about a subject. And I would be thinking, gosh, I'm still not sure. I must not be as smart or as quick-witted. Or, right. And it really just is that I need a lot of internal processing time because I'm you know like turn it over in my hand and like feel it and think about it and contemplate it before I really know how I feel about it in a new role where I am learning what my job is a little bit more every day that has felt like a lot of grace I can spend time really figuring out what I think about how to interact with people what I think about my role as a coach what I think about our coaching model I mean there's a lot to learn and absorb that people seem to seem to me to be really sure about when they've been doing it a few years so the permission to spend the time mm-hmm. turning it over my mind has been really great for me. Yeah. I feel like our model and, and this job, by definition, allows for for that to be in there, you know, where, where you can just, I mean, one of the things we need to do is listen and listen well, right, as, as coaches, because 
if you don't have that element, mm-hmm. how are you going to be effective, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, but then again, there's also bringing energy to a relationship too for, for somebody who's extroverted. And, and there's really, I think, from my experience um, with, you know, working with the Myers-Briggs stuff, um, there becomes a, almost an awareness of what roles you can take on, sort of a code switch mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. That, that develops as a coach um, that, that I've found particularly valuable. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, knowing um, the flexibility um, that you, ha- she, I, I don't know, allows you to be flexible with meeting needs of every type of person and challenges you to do that. Um, and that's been really useful to me as well. As far as, I mean, I, I, we've talked a lot about Myers-Briggs, and I, I mean, the bulk of, of what's in that text really is devoted to Myers-Briggs, but what are some other things that uh, that maybe you've seen come out of, of this text? I mean, you know, she talks a lot about framework, for example. Uh, what are some other things that come out of this text that, that uh, you guys have found, you know, interesting or useful or thought-provoking? It's helped me think about the design of doing professional development in general. How so? Of um, not just thinking about types, but how frequently I can get stuck in planning something how I would want something planned and done. You mean and with a teacher and with an a teacher with if I'm doing it for the whole faculty, um, just planning in general mm-hmm. of how just adding that little tool to remind myself you know what, this is what I would like, but what would everyone like? Mm-hmm. Not specifically based on just type, just in general of making sure I'm being diverse. Um, I also really was interested in how thinking about it in a cultural way. Okay. Um, and how that uh, really sparked my mind about how, oh, wow, okay, I haven't really thought about what she's talking about with type and then connecting that in cultural ways and how just the whole sense of, acceptance of others right. has just is a huge theme um, in all of our books that, that right. each team is, is going yeah, to Yeah, and I mean, so how does that play into, you know, the way that you interact, say, on a one-on-one basis using this idea of what's going to be best for everyone? How do you work that cultural end into it? And how do you understand this idea of culture as far as a coach, you know, what you do? Yeah, I think, um, and what she just at the very end, just kind of slightly alluded to was, you know, looking at what we might value in the United States, mm-hmm. a child coming in from another country saying, okay, am I going to force this child to speak who's just come from another culture where um, respect for an adult, how you show that is just being quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to, you know, target that child and make them come out of their shell because I need to have that awareness and that sensitivity of let me make other safe ways for that student to interact or even for a, you know a colleague who is from a different right. different area or a different place or even different family culture. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things you hear too when you think of like school culture, perhaps, is when a teacher comes from either a different district, a different state. Well, where I came from, or I did this, yeah. and I mean, we do this as I mean, as coaches. Like when I was a teacher, I used to, right? So there's still those sort of tensions as well. I mean, and that is going to be minimal compared to somebody coming from 
say, another country. But, um, but of course, there's a spectrum. But still, I think about, even as you think about different districts, where um, I feel like Albemarle County is very open and collaborative, mm-hmm. and that's one of the important um, charges of our district. Mm-hmm. However, other districts are very closed. You're closed yeah. door, and you are solo, and that's it. And that could be very difficult for someone coming in, even if that's their own their own personal way that they would do things, right. they're going to expect everybody else's closed door mm-hmm. and having that awareness also just that, you know, let me appreciate that about that person and, and we can, you know, build some trust first. As far as cultural diversity and how it marries up with this book, what it's given me is a different language to use to discuss differences and strengths and preferences. Uh, you mean in like a coaching? A more specific, not even necessarily way? in coaching. I'm okay. thinking more in my inner, like my, that inner voice. <laughs> Yeah. The inner Shannon. Well, instead of thinking of diversity and just trying to move it into tidy categories that are easily discernible mm-hmm. or that seem easily discernible, you know, mm-hmm. language spoken, country of origin, et cetera, et cetera. Right. All the um, stuff you'd put on all an the application. things on the form, right? Yeah, Which right. boxes are you checking? But it also gives me another language to help me because I just naturally categorize things. That's just, you know, most humans do. And so it gives me ways to think about, um, to put language to people's differences in the ways that are useful right and accepting right yeah and i think that 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 idea of providing a safe place for a teacher to grow is i mean that comes up in all the coaching books i've seen you know um not that i've read all the coaching books out there but you know i mean the the ones that i've seen the the one that says let's not make a safe space tear it all down does that one go (laughs) i don't know I'm, i'm sure you could find one but one thing i do want to bring up since we've gone into the idea of culture is uh there there is a section i wish i could i looked for it last night i couldn't find it but i remember it being there and you correct me if i'm wrong but um, Jane Kais had, had mentioned that in regard to uh, the Myers-Briggs, when you're dealing with somebody who comes from a different culture, as in primarily non-American, right? right? That's what she um, references. Yeah, America. you're, you're going to have a different set of things. And so you, in a coaching interaction, you might find that even trying to apply this Myers-Briggs things, which, which is Eurocentric, you know, maybe even just a marrow centric if that's even a word right <laughs> it is now <laughs> it, it is now i just coined it <laughs> but um if you're if you're applying that to somebody who's coming in from another country you're going to get a you know a really scattershot right. view of what's going yeah. on because you know like you were saying somebody might just as part of their their culture that they're coming from being in a classroom might mean sit down shut up take the lesson turn mm-hmm. in your paper on time mm-hmm. and that's yeah. the way it goes and if you do anything else then you are a bad student yeah. right and as a teacher you have those expectations that that's what you should be getting mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. your student and i, I mean I'll, just in the, the the two years here that i've been coaching i've actually had situations like that i've had two different situations where where you know it's been a a conversation less about you know how are we doing this or that thing but rather what are the expectations in this society or or even this school culture so so how do you how would how do you make sense of of a tool that is only applicable i'd say 90 percent of the time in a school but i don't know i use the language i use the ideas I mean, I, I say that. I have not had that scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find with teachers where I don't know their type, like we've discussed already, I would just use the ideas of different approaches, the ideas of different strengths. Um, and honoring those. Right. I think just honoring mm-hmm. those different strengths. 
then to move to the next step of let me try if this is going to work. Um, let me try, okay, more concrete examples. Will that bring out the student? Okay, that, that didn't work. Just having that in the back of my mind is still be useful, even if I know nothing about right. students. Even if you have to dump all those type. ways of approaching someone out of the table and just scatter them, you know? <laughs> like a scrap. Yeah, like, yeah, a, like a big uh, magnetic poetry kit yeah. of like, you know, remember those? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was afraid I was the only one. You're like, exactly oh, that. I loved those. I'm going to make a reference <laughs> only people who graduated high school in the mid-90s. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, and we'll put it up on BuzzFeed. <laughs> people will click through that, I guarantee you. They'll <laughs> be like, oh, I love it. All right. But even if you're not applying it directly from this type to this type of coach, mm-hmm the approaches are valid and you don't have right. to take them as like a bundle and use them all all the time because I don't use it that way anyway with people who are Americans and who I do know their Myers-Briggs type mm-hmm. because they've told me I still don't use it that way okay yeah so I wanted to talk about uh, I mean I, I don't know how many discussions you guys have had around the sort of model that Jane Keist is working under because she has a very distinct structure that she works within. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure I have as clear an understanding as you do of the model differences. I mm-hmm. think the difference that I've gathered from the book is that she coaches teams of teachers and there's a specific change that has to be implemented. That's, mean, my, like, that's like my she's been given a mission? Yeah. That kind of that's, thing. that's what I'm sort of gathering from the book, at least from the scenarios that are in the book. I'm not sure if that's really... I mean, I'd say that's accurate. That's what okay. I gathered from okay. reading it too. Is that it was a it was a directive model. We have this initiative, and we want and we you need to, to implement. And yeah. right, so. I'm coming. I'm marching in because we don't think it's implemented. Is that what you're? Yeah, where where it's um sort of a uh, thing that's pinpointed. Um, it sounds like it's the case from the scenarios in the book, and yeah. that's all I have to go on. So I yeah. Don't. So how is that sort of? I mean, we're not, we're not that way. Sure, no. sure. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, we have a we have a administrative faculty firewall that's put up we have confidentiality with all of the teachers that we work with where you know we're not reporting Mm -hmm. to the higher-ups it's between us and the teachers and it's up to the teacher if they want to share then that's on them they do it right um that's not the case based on the scenarios in our book so where is it that um we run into sort of some, I don't know, static between the two um, based on this being a directive model that she's working within using this Meyer-Briggs thing um, and working primarily with groups, it sounds like, and us who are, you know, we're, in, we're invited into a relationship or, or we come together around a project the teacher has brought us in on. I think one of the um, differences is... Um, we don't have to have an end goal. And because of that, I feel like we have more flexibility to meet a teacher's needs. Yeah. Can you clarify? Because I feel like we do have an end goal, but it's just a... I meant an end goal that's a directive from okay. an authority. You're not bringing the end goal. The, okay. I, the teacher is right. bringing the end goal, not an administrator, Okay, which I think is a huge difference. Right. And that allows, I think it allows differentiated coaching to be personal mm-hmm. and to be... M- um, I see more growth yeah, I mean, in our approach because we have the freedom to meet the teacher's needs and that's our goal is to right. meet the teacher's needs and build their capacity for growth. And through that, uh, we can meet them in any level wherever they desire. Yeah. Um, and I think her approach of when you have to, you know, it's an administrative decision and the whole school needs to do it. And this team is having a difficult time. Well, that team at the end 
has to adopt the school's goal. There, okay, so there's no question of whether they want there's to no do question. it or how they're yeah. going to do it. It's, you're doing it. Yeah, and so that to me is a, a very big difference. So what does that do to the use of personality type and differentiation in a coaching relationship if the end goal is a imperative? Oh, wow. That would well, if the end goal is an imperative, I mean, in, in the examples in the book, it means that she is really aware that these four people are four very different types. And so I'm going to have to go through four iterations, five iterations, however many people are on the team of ways to present this material and provide scaffolding for this change to take place. It's like a, a really solid structure of the imperative. It means, okay, you know, it's like this, I don't know, this thing my husband always says, I'm not going to tell you how to go suck an egg, just go suck an egg, right? <laughs> so, like, we're going to get to this place, you know, hell or high water, yeah. and instead of it feeling so much like go suck an egg, it's more mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm going to try it this way so you understand it better. I'm going to try it this way so that you understand it better. I'm going to try it this way so that this other person understands it better. Um, and so the imperative also makes it imperative to try the different ways, to give all the different opportunities to embrace the change. So then I, I guess from what I'm hearing you say is that the imperative for the teachers also ends up becoming an imperative for the coach where everybody's set in this one sort of path that they need to get to the end of? Is that is Yeah, it's that like correct? having a bunch of students in your classroom, and we all need to be able to do, you know, to know these things and do these things by the end of the year. And as the teacher, it's my job to meet your needs where you are and get you to this end point. Right. And it's just a systematic way to do that for adults when time is at a premium and, you know. Right, yeah. And that... It sounds like a very time-consuming process to go about it that way to In me. In a couple of the examples, it yeah, yeah it sounds like a year-long process. Yeah. Well, I or think she more. specified it was yeah. year-long. Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, looking at it under those circumstances, we have a different... I, I think that also sets us up here in our model as working under a different sort of trust relationship. How would you characterize something in that i mean we're not working in it so this is really i guess a hypothesized response but what what would you say would happen if if we were in that situation as far as yeah, yeah. i mean because that's a different trust relationship than somebody saying hey shannon you know i, I was thinking about doing this thing you mm -hmm. want to come in and, and work with me on it right. you know that's different than Hi, I'm Shannon. I'll be working with you. <laughs> you know, you know lucky I mean, you. Yeah. <laughs> you're lucky. We're gonna be uh, we're gonna be showing you how to suck some eggs, <laughs> right? I mean, it's it, it, what's you know what's the trust situation like in that? And I mean, I, this is really just us trying to yeah, visualize it right. since we don't work under that. I think but. we would see a drastic decline in risk taking. Uh, explain. I, I feel like if you if I come in to a teacher that I'm working with and I know I have an imperative and this is what we're doing mm -hmm. at the end, how could we be as open and free and take as many risks and reach kids in a deeper, more meaningful way that's more organic if I have that imperative? I think it would impact negatively. Mm -hmm. um, I, because then that, that teacher doesn't have the the trust that I would have built up without an imperative. Mm -hmm. um, so you're starting at a deficit. Is that? I I don't know. I don't think. That, yes. No. 
Well, would, in our model, at least there's enough trust or at least a recognition that another voice would be helpful mm-hmm. if you're reaching out and asking for a coach. In this other model, there may not be any value at all placed on a coaching relationship. It, you know, at the, the teacher you mean at who's the outset, like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, because she does, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, and she does in in a couple of those situations um, talk about how you know when they started it was rocky, and mm-hmm. then you know with little micro successes, you know, eventually they get to this point, and it's a it's you know a vibrant relationship at the end. You know, well, that's as I was going to play devil's advocate okay. a little bit in that that's cool. I like that. probably there definitely there wouldn't be as much freedom and might not be as much risk but then you're gaining the trust of people who otherwise would not have reached out because they have an idea that this is not a this is not going to be useful for me then you never get that opportunity to gain trust to demonstrate the beauty of the collaboration to um, perhaps see that this change that I was staunchly opposed to is really good for my students, good for my classroom, good for our school culture, whatever the, I mean, you know, that's an, kind of an ideal outcome of pushing an imperative through, but that would be the other side of that coin, mm-hmm. that possibly this coaching could become to be valued by a teacher. I mean, it's not, doesn't feel soft, doesn't feel fuzzy, doesn't feel very Albemarle, but right. that's perhaps the other side of that coin. Right, right. I mean, what's, I the, what's the benefit to, to setting it up that way? With an imperative? Yeah. Mm. The benefit is you know mm. with the end result that everyone is going to be on board on that direction. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be the benefit, right? Mm-hmm. The um, risk is assuming yeah. that whatever you've chosen as the direction, all right, we're going to mar- you know, all march in step to this. Mm-hmm. Well, you better pick something really good. Yeah, <laughs> it right. really works for That's all the true. kids all the time. Well, and yeah. make everyone do it. Yeah, yeah. and buying into um, making something happen in the classroom doesn't mm-hmm. mean that that it's great. It doesn't mean that they're that they're so bought in that it spurs so many other instructional right. things that yeah. are amazing in the classroom. Whereas if you have the opposite approach, where it is the teacher who's driving that change, the teacher who's driving the better instruction, mm-hmm. then I feel like that organically will move to everything else that they do okay. in a more natural way. It's hard for me to say because I've, I've, as a teacher, benefited so much from a not directive approach. So it's right. hard for me to put the other, you know, well, the other spin on it. I can think of a, an example of myself where I was given a directive mm-hmm. and I see a couple years down the, the pike how that was very beneficial for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you brought this up I th- in a meeting once. I feel Go like, ahead. so as a new teacher for the county, I came in um, knowing I had to teach a certain math curriculum called Investigations that the county has adopted. And so I didn't know anything about it. I had to relearn how to teach math at, to fourth graders because it was not the way I learned. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a directive from my administrator. Like I ha- There was not a choice in that. Now I see that I moved grade levels and I used the same... Um, investigations again the next grade and then when I moved out of the classroom and I saw all grades K through 5 I actually saw how amazingly beneficial Mm -hmm. using investigations math instruction was Mm -hmm. from kindergarten to first to second to third to fourth to fifth I could see how it led up to a child who has amazing number sense and is a great flexible mathematical thinker ready for for middle school and I saw how that was really beneficial 
right. the time as a new teacher, I'm like, okay, you know, no big deal. If I was a teacher who had had 20 years experience coming into that, that it would have been have a different, yeah, well. yeah, it would have been different. But in that circumstance, it actually did work. That directive did mm-hmm. work for me. Um, so I think that I agree with Shannon that sometimes that directive does work mm-hmm. in certain situations or with certain types of people. Right. Um, but I don't think it should be the overall approach. Right. And um, I, I think, you know, you had mentioned this earlier, it better be a good directive, like right? A good one. <laughs> and, and the thing is, is, you know, you also have to think about one of the things with faculties is that a lot of them have the awareness that they're probably going to outlive the tenure of you know, whoever's coming into the building as an administrator, you know, because administrators tend to cycle pretty regularly. Um, So, you know, when you look at that idea of implementing something that is administratively led, that's that's already a hard sell in Mm -hmm. a lot of cases. Um, Even in places that don't have our models set up. I mean, I've been in school divisions where things were given by a language arts downtown person to oh, me right. here's how to teach like a this curricular right? like lead. a curriculum sort of thing yeah um that was the culture of the place and people still you know yeah. bristled right well you know I, I mean it makes sense if you feel like you don't know my students right you can't give the same person on you know i'm thinking of where i was in fort worth the person on the east side of fort worth and the person on the west side of fort worth or northern you know these are very different populations mm-hmm. and to assume that your packet is super good for all of us. <laughs> really. Thank you right. for your packet and the transparency. Yeah, nine, Dating nine, myself yeah. a bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, so let's um, let's start getting into sort of the tail end of uh, of the session here. Um, how has this specific text um, and really you know sort of helped conceptualize the work you're doing? It's kind of given me a charge to, you know, I'm going to try to really meet that person's needs and not my needs. It's not about me. It's about mm-hmm. them and what, what that teacher wants and what that teacher needs and what they're trying, trying to sift out. What is their ultimate goal trying to get to and, and using the book with, with tools and strategies of how to lead them to that. Okay. Um, and being able to, to do that. That's where I'm at. It's given me a specific way to reflect on interactions and plan for interactions, uh, to think about teachers' goals and needs and how to move them toward their goals. I also feel like it's given me ways to try something different. How so? So if I'm um, looking at um, an introverted sensing person who needs step-by-step instruction but also needs time to think, and then I give that to a teacher, and oh, that didn't quite work. You know, that that didn't move them towards the goal that Shannon was talking about. It didn't move them. So then I can okay, well maybe I just give them a couple choices. Like hey, we could do this, this, or that. Is that better for that person? Right. So it gives me just a couple more tools to use as I'm trying to go through that path of ultimately helping them meet their goals. Right. Okay. Um, and then uh, as far as uh, last question, I always like to leave this one for the last. Uh, what are some limitations that you see in adopting the differentiated coaching model as she lays it out? We don't all know our Myers-Briggs, yeah. and we don't discuss it openly as a common framework. And, that, and that's our district, right? Yeah. So Yeah, so I think that that's, that's a limitation because when I come into a, an interaction with someone, I have to spend a lot of energy and thought on what their type is, which has value, certainly. It's not going to work in some... It's, it's harder in a team. If I'm working with a PLC, to sit and really think about all four of these people and what their 
personality types are and how to meet all those needs? I, um, I think one of the limitations is that sometimes our personality traits come out differently in different situations. And I think that if, if you're stuck on thinking of a person, identifying a person in a certain way, then it doesn't allow for that flexibility of maybe indifferent. And I find that true for myself. I'm mm-hmm. 50% introverted and extroverted Mm -hmm. and there are different situations that you both sides you will see one side come out and the other side come out in a different situation Uh and i um i feel like if if we use the approach where it's so specific that we don't have that flexibility awareness it can it can become a labeling thing even though she says it's not what it's for i think it could be there's a danger there there is a danger there yes absolutely and i think that um, as long as we're aware that that's the danger, it can still mm-hmm. be a useful tool. But if you, you know, that's yeah. the big danger for me. Yeah, and I mean, in a in a non, you know, imperative or directive situation, it's a little awkward to come in and say, "So what's your Myers Briggs?" You know, <laughs> maybe for you. Yeah, maybe for me. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I just told on myself. I don't know. No, you're right. But when I was at home taking the the online thing, and I was you know, at home by myself about to join these new people who were my new fellow novice coaches and all these Mm -hmm. new leads who I didn't know. Right. And the feedback I got for how to do better professionally were things like smile more, be nice (laughs) to colleagues, compliment people. It was like, don't be such a creepy robot. And that was not helpful helpful feedback for someone who was already nervous about joining a new team. I like, I like the idea of creepy robot. Yeah, so I was like, "That's not great feedback for me." Smile more, like right. that doesn't feel helpful. Right, but that's the maybe that's my personal personality type <laughs> showing that I'm like, smile more. Yeah, what's that's, with that grimace? That's problem. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, that's a limitation in yeah. that before you get together as a faculty, if everyone's thinking like taking this and then getting this feedback about themselves, you're going to have people either like me feeling anxious about the feedback they got, or you're going to have people getting the feedback and being like, "Well, I'm not doing that." Mm. Or, yeah. you know, hopefully that wouldn't be, that's not what would happen, but right. gosh. Well, it's, and there is sort of a danger of, you know, if say you were putting uh, a teacher or even, you know, when you get in as a new coach, taking those those assessments, mm-hmm. right, that are, you know, this or that, you mm-hmm. know, there's a, there's, there's that danger of boxing. I also didn't in, love, even as a coach. Yeah. I didn't love those four letters going to the lead coach team before I knew them. I didn't oh, love that, yeah. like, oh, this is your INTJ. Don't expect her to talk to you or smile at <laughs> you or compliment you ever. Yeah. Uh, I didn't love that that's what went to the meeting before I did. Right. Okay. I got you. Oh, I didn't think about that. Well, and I can agree with that um, because I'm 50-50 on, mm-hmm. on two, not just the E and the I, but on two other sets that it doesn't allow for that. Mm-hmm. Freedom, that flexibility right. of well, sometimes wow, so I am like this. Like I any sometimes am like that. Combinations. It's, weird. it's weird. Like, and the more that I read this, the more it's like, yes, and I see exactly when that fits, and whoop, over here I see exactly yeah. when that fits. It is, it's bizarre. Yeah, ask um, me tomorrow. I don't know. But I'm very J. I'm very J. That one's solid. That one's very solid. <laughs> but, I um, but I, I think that I agree with you, Shannon. That it. That box is just that huge risk still of that boxing mm-hmm. in, and then you're set just with that one mm-hmm. frame of mind, or others view you in that one way mm-hmm. that can impact trust. Yeah, you know? and, I, and I can see it being a good tool for somebody who has to go in cold and mm-hmm. with a mission. You know, mm-hmm. so um, all right. Well, how'd it go? 
the podcast. It was not as painful as I yeah, thought it would that's be. That's what I strive I for. I thought it was fine. Yeah. It's less <laughs> painful Medium than painful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I look oh, forward to seeing like the edited version and be like, yeah. wow, yeah, okay. <laughs> that really, that really came together. Yeah, right. <laughs> so thanks. And thank, yeah, thank yeah. you for your preparation. Thank you yeah. for yeah. all the thinking that you did for it beforehand. And I appreciate your you, questions. Yeah. Well, it's thank you nice. guys. So, all right. So that was episode four. Thanks again to Shannon and Leslie for joining me for that conversation. And I appreciate them hanging in there with me because uh, I'd been out on paternity leave and that, uh, that day that we were recording was my first day back from that, from the birth of my son, Max. He's, he's a cute little guy. Now, the next podcast I'm going to have uh, posted is going to be around The Art of Coaching Teams, which is an uh, Aguilar book. Um, so uh, stay tuned for that next time. And then uh, make sure you stop by the ednarrative.com and check things out. Catch you next time. Bye.